Hello everyone, I'm Mark, the chief writer here at Maltopia, and I just wanted to remind you the sleep-wake cycle is but one of a series of interconnected horror podcasts within the wide and weird world of Maltopia. For Easter eggs, crossover events, and additional lore, please check out our other series, The Shepherd of Wolves, Red Mother, Grimland, and The Damnation Machine. And be sure to check out our free content on our Patreon page for additional lore and stories. For even more Maltopia content, consider becoming a patron. Starting for as little as $2 a month, benefits range from additional art, update videos, early episode access, our mini-podcast series, October's Children, both written and full audio pieces, such as The Lost Library, Tales of Maltopia, and The Weird Book. You can also gain access to our found footage show, The Weird Tape Series, and even our Patreon-exclusive, fully-produced audio series, Devil's Clay. So, with all that said, I will leave you to the darkness. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Rusty Quill presents. Greetings, Maltopians. We just want to inform you that while we are on a brief hiatus after Season 2 of The Sleep-Wake Cycle, we still have content to offer you until Season 3 of The Sleep-Wake Cycle is released. Over the next few weeks, we will be offering stories from our shows The Lost Library and Tales of Maltopia. Season 3 of The Sleep-Wake Cycle will return in early October. Thank you again 
for all your support and enjoy. Adley, exhausted, slumped down next to the dirt hole he just crawled out of. He lay there for a bit, watching white cumulus monsters pass overhead. He was hot from all the digging, so he was thankful for the cool shadows they kindly provided. The tired man caught his breath and then tipped his head back over the edge of the ditch. The pine box he'd broken out of was little more than tinder now. It was a shame. He was hoping to bring it back home with him. It would have been perfect. But after being buried a few days, and knowing that the men he paid to put him there wouldn't be back for a couple more, he started to feel overwhelmed. It wasn't long after that desperation settled in, and he used the hatchet he brought with him to break out, and with more vigor than he intended. But what was done was done, he'd gotten what he came for, and that's all that mattered. Adley stood up and began to brush himself off. He noticed some bugs, whose homes he surely tunneled through in his frantic scramble towards the surface, had found refuge upon his person. A large centipede lay coiled in his breast pocket, and he watched as something eight-legged and plump scuttled up the inside of his pant leg. His shoes, he could feel, were surely a mecca for pill bugs, ants, and a myriad of other squirming things. His skin crawled. He hated bugs. So, of course, he let them stay. It would make up for the box. Adley grabbed his hatchet from the pile of slung earth lying beside him, and then made his way through the woods. For fifteen minutes he trudged through fogs of mosquitoes and bushels of poison oak until he came upon a familiar clearing. The car was right where he left it, a fading dirt road carved through about two miles of posted forestry. He wondered what the last few nights there must have looked like, all those glowing eyes beaming from their nocturnal hidey holes. He imagined all the terrible shapes that might have owned them and wished he could stay another night. But tomorrow was his big day and there were still dark dreams waiting to hatch, incubating beneath the warm promise of a long night's sleep. No, he had to get back soon. His bed had waited long enough. He missed it, and surely it missed him, along with all the wicked splendors he dreamt into his soft, sheeted body. The old Volkswagen groaned when Adley got in. Flakes of rust sprinkled the ground as the engine hesitantly woke up. The wasting thing puttered down the path and, after about ten minutes, turned onto the main road. A man, his host of bugs, and a cauldron of swelling nightmares helming its fate. As he parked his car in the driveway, the soft purr of rubber meeting loose gravel welcomed Adley back home. He wondered if it would be the last time he heard it. There was no telling where he would be after tomorrow, it being his birthday and all. He got out of the car and walked up a few short steps, arriving at a picket-fenced gate. The door, as usual, wouldn't obey. Its rotted wooden bones and rusty hinges had made it stubborn, a crotchety old thing always looking for an argument. After a few hard tugs, the old thing finally gave in. Walking through, he saw that his little spat wasn't without casualties. A few large splinters had broken loose and lay in a pile next to where he forced the door open. They joined the other moldy ones that came before them, and the numerous broken pickets that lay like wooden corpses around his yard. He immediately had an impulse to pick them up, but then remembered what the voice had always told him. 
Rotting things often foster the freshest horrors. Adley, you do well to let them fester. Only then might you see your darkest gardens bloom. As usual, he heeded the voice's wisdom and resisted his compulsion. He quickly hurried through his yard, which was little more than an unkempt square of overgrown grass, and made his way into an old, crooked house, his home. Despite having lived in the place for over 17 years, the size of it always amazed him. From the outside, it was merely a two-story dead thing slowly caving in on itself. But the inside of the place suggested mansion-like proportions, ones that should have belonged to a sprawling, albeit derelict, chateau, rather than a crumbling Victorian. Every time he came back, there seemed to be new rooms, pictures, and furniture. He often wondered if the interior possessed a different kind of physics, or if it was home to some strange alternative universe, stuffed inside the guts of a moldering house for God knows what purpose. Whatever the reason, Adley pushed it from his mind. He had learned long ago the danger of dwelling on such things. It was as the voice had always told him. Explanation is a path to bondage. It convinces the world of its own certainty, then shackles it to it. Such is the enemy of the dreamer, Adley. Avoid it. Before moving any further, Adley soaked in all the strange little details of his home, as he was wont to do. He enjoyed its musty fragrance, the groan of its old wooden bones, the brief glint of dust meeting stray, uninvited beams of light. It dawned on him that he may never see the place again, never walk through its slanted doorways, or bask in the quiet that had comforted him since birth. The thought made him want to stand there forever, to grip time so hard that it couldn't budge a second. But he quickly shrugged the feeling. He had to remind himself that this wasn't his home, not his true home, anyway. That would come tomorrow, provided he steeled himself from any more distractions. Edley continued into the house. He quickly passed through the rooms, trying to avoid any unnecessary sentiment, but the house wouldn't let him leave without saying its goodbyes. Tattered curtains rose with nary a breeze, their bodies wraiths dancing on dead air. Entering the living room, the old air vents kicked on, wheezing breathy whispers from the house itself, bidding him farewell. He returned the gestures, nodding as he went, admiring all the derelict pageantry that had once fostered such dark dreams in him as a child. He was sad to press on, but press on he did. Finally, he stood at the foot of the stairwell. It lived in a room with a sunken floor, where lay a fruiting garden of toadstools, whitecaps, and other fungi. The winding stairway rose up from its center and into the floor above, hungry sacrifice trailing the handrails as they ascended. After taking a few steps up, he paused. He thought of leaving his crawling guests with the small fetid patch below. They would surely appreciate the accommodations. But then he envisioned a creeping host of mandibles and legs scurrying over his prone body and the dreadful things they might do as he slept. The terrifying thought reinforced his initial decision. The tiny things would accompany him to bed, with fears of their diablery squirming into his dreams as surely as they would dirt or a rotting log. Satisfied, he continued up the spiraling steps, unable to tell whether it was his skin crawling or the bugs. The second level mirrored the destitution of the first, the ceiling and walls festooned with holes, 
cracks spreading dendritically this way and that. One could easily be forgiven for mistaking the floor as carpet, as the oak boards comprising it supported a thick layer of dust that ran the length of the hallway. But, importantly, it was punctuated by dozens of broken doors, each one leading to a bedroom. For Adley, they were like the abandoned shells of hatched eggs, their occupants long flown from the nest. He tried to walk by them unmoved, attempting to muzzle the synapses chattering in his memory setters. But it was all too much. The hallway possessed as many mementos as it did moats, and before Adley knew it, he was revisiting the past. Adley remembered nothing before the house. Neither did the other children. Perhaps they were born from it, gestated inside its fusty womb, and spilt out into the world from the canals of its heating vents. However they got there, the old place fostered them, lent its crooked shadows to their dark little imaginations, and let them grow. Their young minds fed upon all the dangling fruits typical of an abandoned house. Its silence, its loneliness, its whispering drafts. All staple nutrients for growing nightmares. They were stubborn at first. Some taped their eyes open to avoid sleep, while others simply lay screaming, hoping the monsters of their dreams might take mercy on them. Adley recalled squishing himself into small corners, childishly thinking the barriers of the real world could halt the terrors of the other. Growing pains, he supposed. But that all changed when they started hearing the voice. It first spoke to them through heating registers, drains, even electrical sockets. But as they ventured outside, into the equally abandoned town, they realized it wasn't bound to the house. It was everywhere. Sometimes it would divulge its secrets from sewer grates, or philosophize through the tiny mouth of an anthill. At one point, he and the other children concluded it must be something living underground, given its preponderance for deep places. But that theory was put to rest when it whispered from the chimney of a decrepit craftsman, located only two streets away. Adley and the other children were frightened of it, of course. Disembodied voices have never inspired much trust. But over time, it endeared itself to them. The voice was wise in ways they had never known. It knew their fantasies, their hobbies, their favorite colors, even their thoughts. But more than that, it knew their dreams. On this, it was particularly conscious, providing every detail of the nightmares that harrowed their sleep. But where the children saw dread, the voice saw the bit of a dark and wonderful calling. Adley remembered its words like it was yesterday. There is a light to the darkness, if only one is willing to see it. It glows somewhere beyond the sun, beyond the rigor shapes of this waking lie, and lives behind the closed eyes of the brave dreamer. The demons of your sleep are simply the jagged and writhing dawns of a new world, one where the shapes of what could be work to abolish those that are. Salvation is sought in the mouths of monsters, my children. To feed them is to be free. There was a certain uncanniness to its words, a familiarity that briefly slipped the shadow of their meaning. The children didn't understand them, but they knew they were correct all the same. They echoed from somewhere old and amnion, an inherent sentiment built into the children's wet and soft founding. And while their organisms still consciously abhorred the prospect of sleep, a deeper, more primordial urge compelled them towards it. 
Adley recalled returning to the feral nightscapes of his dreams. After that, everything was different. He remembered experiencing an almost instinctual revelry, a base need to traverse, embrace, and nourish the dream. He basked in its shadows, growing even, within the strangely casted voids. Where once he fled, he now flourished. For the first time, he knew where he belonged. And when he woke up to the beaming faces of his peers, he knew they did too. From then on, the voice encouraged them to explore the deeper stratums of their unconscious, to excavate the sleeping terrors that might lie beneath. And they did. Like hungry things, they forged for darker and darker fruits. They plunged lightless basements, traversed sewers at midnight, crawled through the buried arteries of old water systems, all fuel for the horror engines in their head. In turn, blacker and blacker worlds opened up, leaving them to careen like hapless astronauts into new wicked galaxies. They even gathered together and recounted their hellish dreams on occasion, hoping each one's terror might crossbreed with another's, creating new and novel species of nightmares. After a few years, however, the squalid town they lived in, which had for so long provided fertile ground for their nightly adventures, grew sparse and unable to support the darker visions they knew were pent beyond the deeper regions of sleep. That's when the beds showed up. Adley walked to the end of the hallway, where the only intact door remained, his room. It opened easily, welcoming an old friend. The place was as he left it. Thick curtains kept the room dim, giving it just enough light to provide a subtle amber glow, the way he liked it. Paraphernalia from previous outings greeted him, a straight jacket hung on the back wall, still leaking madness, and an old jack-in-the-box from a burnt-out school beamed from his dresser. There were dozens of such items, all kept to lavish him with their haunting presence, inspiration for a good night's sleep. He was happy to see them again, but not as happy as he was to see his bed. At this point, the thing was almost as big as the room. Like Adley, it had changed aged and grown over a lifetime of bad dreams. If he didn't know better, he wouldn't have thought it was a bed at all. The bedposts were barely recognizable anymore. They'd become gnarled like the jutting fingers of a witch, infected with spots of wood rot and age. The side rails, once straight, flat pieces of unremarkable mahogany, now bore carved tableaus of wicked and strange scenes, things he had nightmare while sleeping in the bed's soft clutches. From the bed's undercarriage, large and threatening structures ascended, almost touching the ceiling. They protruded like tusks from an elephant, or like the blanched ribcage of a quilted, soft corpse. He reached out and touched one. He wasn't sure what they were made of, bone, if he had to guess. But whatever the material, it all melded together to form an abhorrent confluence of human and inhuman likenesses. They all ran together, like a leaky water painting each twisted face stretched and screaming into the other. It was one of his favorite features of the bed. Adley walked over to the foot of the monstrous thing, his eyes feasting on every inch of its carven works. He recalled the first time he saw it. Despite having become accustomed to the house's changing architecture, he remembered his and the other children's surprise when they discovered a new hallway upstairs, one lined with fifteen doors. 
the exact number of occupants living in the house. They all quickly dispersed, each one picking a door and inspecting the room beyond it. Inside was a large vacant space, its sole occupant a twin bed. There was nothing special about the things. Their comforters and mattresses were unremarkable and drab, the pillows naked and water-stained. The wooden frames were slightly warped, cracking and coming apart in places. The only other things of interest were the yellowing pieces of paper that lay upon them, birth certificates. Each one displayed the day they were born into this world, along with their given name printed just below it. Adley and the rest of the children were confused, of course, but, as usual, the voice provided guidance. A bed is not merely a soft place for still bodies, but a repository of sorts. A Pandora's box masked in gaudy coverlets and pillowy invitations. It stands as reality's greatest enemy, containing beneath its sheeted bosom an infinity of pent unborn realities. They are home to the black spaces between stars, those lightless voids where the nightmares of suns spin and toil, reckless and mad. But the inertia of this world traps it, crushes it into a rigid and dimensioned frame, and fits it into a circumscribed and orderly hell. But that can change. The world beyond this town houses different, wonderful species of terror, each one in its own right, a renegade dream pounding at the walls of this subjugating world. You must befriend them, call their loyalties to the other side, and seed your sleeping worlds with their offerings. This is your pilgrimage. In time, you will see those worlds grow, push against the calculated and solid walls of this cyclical prison, until, at last, they soften and break, and you will find yourself home. As usual, the voice's words were ominous and vague, and yet spoke to something they all unconsciously knew. They had plundered the last of the town's dark treasures, stripped its haunted places of their secreted hells, and then joyfully burned them during the quiet of sleep. But those fires had since lost their breath, and the children's dreams were nothing but smoldering embers desperate to catch. The voice was right. They needed to leave. How that particular revelation related to the beds and the aged records laid atop them, they had no clue. That is until the first one of them turned 18. It was starting to get dark, and Adley couldn't help but shiver with excitement. A quiet giggle slipped his throat. He was so close now. He wanted to sleep, but adrenaline kept him chained to consciousness. Behind him, he could feel a toiling from his bed, a palpable eagerness straining against the straitjacket of all those sheets and blankets. At the same time, he sensed the certainty of things all around him begin to worry, like at any moment reality would lose control and its very fabric would tear, loosing a flood of grim absurdities it had worked so hard to pent. Adley grinned, wondering which of his nightmares might come tumbling out. He wondered if it would be the ones inspired by his trip to the borders of New Victoria, that once shining metropolis now rendered derelict by the strange sleeping plague that emptied its citizens of conscious lives, and then refilled them with terminal, unconscious ones. He remembered seeing one of the infamous flying sleepers 
floating just above some of the city's far-off rooftops, bobbing along in the air like a piece of driftwood lost at sea. The sight was spectacular and had followed him through countless nights of sleep. Perhaps it would be the gruesome exploits of a certain serial killer that would slither out from the breach. Long ago, upon the voice's direction, Adley was able to secretly track and witness the actions of a madman who used the bones of his dead family to craft his visions, adopting the flesh and blood of his victims as mediums for his art. The lunatic was obsessed with recreating his dreams, hoping that one day his efforts might usher in a new, nightmarish reality. Adley remembered wishing he could tell the man that his actions were being used for just such a purpose. But Adley decided against it. For such things to remain pure, they must remain untouched, he thought. Regardless, the murderer's work filled Adley's nocturnal life with the darkest inspirations. Of course, nothing happened. The walls of reality held. As usual, its laws and steeled logic formed a bulwark through which no dream could pass. Disappointed, Adley walked over to the windowsill and sat down, affixing his eyes to the home languishing on the corner of Mill and Bradley. The sight of the place often comforted him, dragging him back to those days where he and his dreaming kindred first ventured out into the larger world. They wouldn't see each other for weeks, even months sometimes, but when they did, they would each return with terrible memories in tow, psychic kindling that kept the hearth of their darkest dreams alive and burning. Over time, Adley noticed that many of his compatriots had developed proclivities, fondnesses for certain phyla of dread. It was no surprise. The vastness of the world inevitably produced a myriad of horrors, leaving one to prefer one nightmarish biome over another. As such, each one of them began to carve out a more defined sense of self, so much so that, one day, they collectively decided to scribble out the surnames of their old birth certificates and replace them with more appropriate ones, ones that spoke to their unconscious identities, and ones that when finally pried from the moorings of their ontological prisons, would cast bleak and penumbral new meaning upon the world. Outside, the sun was growing tired, and herds of shifting clouds began to crowd the moon. The time was getting closer now. He could feel it. His eyes continued to focus on the house down the street, watching its black, casted reflection stretch long and dark across the twilight-bled yard as the sun began its descent. The place was a monument of sorts, proof that the prevailing rule could be toppled, if only long enough to let squeeze through it the shape of a rogue dream. He remembered the night it was constructed. The sounds of an unexplained and displaced industry screamed out from the bedroom of Adley's eldest sibling, Bailey Coffins, a gangly young man who spent most of his days trapped in pine boxes beneath old forgotten cemeteries, absorbing the dead dreams of its residents. The strange noises persisted for hours, but when the cacophony stopped, the children quickly climbed the stairs to check on their brother, and found his bedroom door lying flat and mutilated in the hallway. Cautious, they crept over to the shattered threshold and peeked into the room. The bed was gone. The casket-shaped thing, together with its gravestone headboard, soil-stuffed mattress, and all of the wriggling things within it, was nowhere to be seen. Nor was Bailey. There was only the outline of his bed imprinted on the floor, a devilish crop circle pressed into layers of dust. But as the children searched for clues, sifting through debris and all the clutter of a messy teenager's room, 
they found the remnants of Bailey's birth certificate hiding in the room's westmost corner. It was tattered and yellowed, but most conspicuous was the date typed across its wrinkled face. It was Bailey's 18th birthday. At first, the fact was only a whisper of the uncanny, a coincidence begging at the feet of meaning. But when a strange new house appeared just down the street the following morning, he and the rest of the children recognized it for the dark miracle it was. Even from a distance and through a window smeared with insect gore, dirt, and film, he was still able to put together every detail of that glooming abode. His recollection of first standing in front of it was tantamount to a mnemonic shrine, a place he could go to reinvigorate his faith in times of waning belief. He recalled staring at the strange house's architecture the morning of its birth, how its gables, eaves, siding, and dormers conspired to form a home in the shape of a giant casket, and how its placement relative to the sun seemed purposeful, if not meticulously calculated, to cast pine box shadows so deep and black one became fearful they might plummet to the bottom of the earth if they dare cross one. The mysterious house was secretive, though, and allowed the children only a nebulous idea of its interior through a series of small, faintly lit windows. The place was far less discriminate in what it allowed onlookers to hear, however. Adley remembered he and the rest of his ilk putting their ears to the building's front doors one at a time, where they could each hear their own echoed eulogy a dreary sermon of gospel verses, organ music, and muffled sobs. Their curiosity compelled them to try the entrance, but the large oaken doors stood both unmovable and indifferent. They were unwelcome. The children were disappointed, of course, but they also understood. Bailey's new home, his true home, occupied a space between the dusk and dawn of consciousness a place where its occupants dwelled in lots six feet under, and the sun was merely a fluorescent bulb dangling above a steel slab. From then on, Adley and his kin, like other children of the world, began to celebrate their birthdays, especially their 18th. Adley's eyelids suddenly became anchors, and the lethargy of sleep settled in. He rose from the window's edge and followed a carpet of moonbeam leading back to his sleeping place. An auspicious sign, he thought. He shuffled over to the nightmare disguised as a bed and let himself collapse into its cushioned grasp. He lay there, still in his clothes, the bugs still squirming about his person, and stared up at the ceiling. He often did this before sleep, lie on his back, wandering into the plaster void above. The presence of only darkness and flat white paint made it easy to conduct images beyond the cell of his skull the lack of competing stimuli providing a canvas on which his wandering mind could paint. It seemed to facilitate the dreaming, easing his mind from the shallow fantasies of waking into the deeper strata of slumber. Harkin Shore's home was one of his favorite places to visit on his way to sleep. Its ramshackle structure, built from driftwood and a thick carapace of coral and shells, always put him at ease. He especially loved listening to the ocean pent behind its sodden doors. Once in a while, he'd get lucky and glimpse one of its residents through the place's porthole windows. A flash of tentacles, or the vague suggestion of something coasting, behemoth and hungry, beyond a fog of algae and unlit waters. Dana Sellers' underhome was another place close to his heart, wherein dwelt his dearest friend. He loved sitting around the entrance a large pair of storm doors secured by a tangle of rusty chains, 
and thinking about the cracked and uneven stairs descending just beyond them. The air around the place smelled of musty cardboard boxes and black mold, rekindling memories of him and Dana plundering old cellars, sifting through the lightless, damp worlds living just beneath people's feet. Sometimes the dome-shaped place would offer up small awning windows at its concrete bottom, where he could crouch and see gossamer cobwebs playing at shapes meandering in the dark. He always thought it was Dana's way of saying hello. But there was something that worried Adley. Each one of his peers had a calling, a particular darkness they paid homage to. Adley's situation was more... complex. Years ago, while all of the other children eagerly scribbled new surnames upon their yellowed birth certificates, Adley found his hand embarrassingly still. Unlike his peers, no single horror found prominence in his head. Instead, each one was given a place, a warm, dark corner to thrive. For a while, he thought it was all part of the process. He would venture into the world, collect its terrors, and let his unconscious find its muse. But that never happened. Instead, the dreads he dragged back with him stayed and grew, flourishing in what had become a utopia for misfit horrors. He felt no particular call to any one of them, but rather to them all. As a result, his sleep was host to a menagerie of hells, each one beautiful and equally worthy of his attention. Worried, Adley often sought guidance from the voice, but it was suspiciously quiet on the topic. Any other time, a question would send his invisible mentor into a long-winded diatribe. But not this. Not so much as a peep was uttered. He figured that was either really good or really bad. He flipped back and forth daily as to which it was. But it barely mattered now. He was only moments away from slipping into sleep, and no amount of second thoughts would change the outcome whatever that happened to be. Adley could feel his consciousness slacken, becoming less cogent, less solid. The darkness behind his eyes grew blacker, until eventually the shades of slumber altogether enveloped him. And just as the last tethers to the waking world were cut, he could hear the faint sound of a bed mattress tearing, and its monstrous frame breaking into pieces. Adley tested the water, running it into the basin of the clawfoot bathtub. It was cloudy, dark, and unpermitting. He looked beneath the surface of the water. There was no sign of the tub's porcelain bottom, just a murky, fathomless depth. There were things swimming in it, too. Colossal beasts cruising the deep like aloof, mindless gods. He rose back up above the brackish water, satisfied. The rest of the house was similarly prepared. The floors, half-rotted planks, warped and discolored, spoke in creaking tongues. The basement and attic were stuffed with the rarest darknesses, kinds seldom scared off by the light. And the place's silence pent terrible secrets, concealed beneath a sweep of bed skirts and ajar closet doors. The house was a lifetime of collected nightmares, eighteen years' worth, to be exact. All seamlessly worked into the very bones of the house. The children, who he surmised would be arriving soon, would surely shrink from them at first. He did. They all did. But, like Adley and his ilk, they would come to flourish, rather than wilt, beneath the dreamt shadows of the house, with his tutelage, of course. Surely it would be no easy task. They would wander and they would stray. They were children, after all. But luckily, 
Adley wasn't confined to the vents and cracks of his house, the mouthpieces of his new home. Despite no longer having a body, he found that he could move and speak through all the weakened gates of the solid world. Sewer grates, night skies, dusky basements. All those places the conscious mind nary treads. They would be his podiums, and the children his eager pupils. Adley looked out from a crooked window. His new home was on the other side of town, stranded on an overgrown square of brown grass and unkempt bushes. There was an old tire swing in the backyard neighbored by some slouching elms and a barn just waiting to die. Some woods bordered the property, and the thought of children wandering them at night caused a smile to cross his face. Adley's glance moved across the city. He thought about all the wayward sleepers that came into town, unconsciously drifting towards the home of one of his brothers or sisters. A warm feeling overcame him when he thought of all the dark hospitalities they had to offer. Ancient cellars, monster-filled oceans, buried coffins, harrowing carnivals, each one endless, each one eager for occupants. His eyes moved towards his old home. It was gone now. The nightmares that once kept it standing lay dead beneath the rubble of fetid wood and broken stone. An eidolon of the place remained in his memory, however, a gravesite he could visit when time permitted. It made him wonder what happened to his mentor. Was it still there, a ghost haunting the remains of its once-standing home? Or had it moved on, harrowing a new generation of dreamers? He supposed he couldn't know. Not for another eighteen years. Anyway. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 